Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. If you're going to San Francisco I'm your host, Stella, and this is Batgirl to Oracle to Batgirl, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, Episode 27, Part 2, Groovy Baby, for August MMXI. Episode 27 is brought to you by this public service announcement. Is your mom there? No, I'm home alone. Well, you want a prize. What's your address? Uh, 42 Oak Street. Hey, Roblox, some stranger's bringing me a prize. A stranger, huh? All he wanted to bring you was trouble. Remember, never tell anyone you're home alone and never give anyone your address. I'll say mom can't come to the phone. Smart thinking. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! Batgirl to Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are November's Batgirl number 3 and Birds of Prey number 3, both for $2.69. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Okay, well, we we are back. And uh, I guess I'll start off with Batgirl number 22, Five Minutes Fast. 
writer Brian Q. Miller, artist Perry Perez, and colorist Guy Major. Uh, my quote that I pulled out was, how many cliches can a girl fit into one trip? After a long night of crime fighting, Steph arrives home and hopes to go to bed before she gets the call from Batman. One transatlantic flight later, she arrives in England under the guise of Constance Aberthine and is picked up by Beryl, Beryl, very strange name, Hutchinson, a.k.a. Squire. While Steph does need to get to a hotel and meet Batman, which kind of sounds sketchy, she is persuaded by Beryl that they can do a brief sightseeing tour on the way there. As luck would have it, there happens to be a disturbance, and the girls go off knowing that Batman would be okay with Steph's tardiness if it was due to crime fighting. The girls, now as background squire, happen upon a man who calls himself the Orphan and has a pack of Charles Dickens-esque men with him. It appears the Orphan is after the Green Witch Mean, an Excalibur-looking item that has been preventing time leaks ever since the Blitz in World War II. Orphan pulls the mean from its location, and everyone but Orphan, Batgirl, Squire are slowed down, including several civilians with bombs attached to their persons. Squire then has an unfortunate realization, and the two find Orphan with his regular moving cronies ready to kill Knight. Batgirl figures out how the cronies are still moving and removes their time belts, then grabs the mean from Orphan. With the help of Knight, the bombs are removed from the civilians, and then Batgirl places the main back in order to stop the time leaks. The two remark that they saved the world, only to be denied credit. Steph, again exhausted, finally gets to her hotel room, nibbles on some chocolate, and is just about to relax until she is visited by Batman. Uh, oh. Do you want me to start, or would you, as this is your first Batgirl, would you like to open it up? Okay, you can edit this out or not. Um, you wrote in your notes Batgirl number 23. But it is, yeah, I did. And that's the issue I read. <laughs> so, oh, no! <laughs> but I can fake it, because um, I followed along with you as you were going. And, and the, the plot's pretty yeah. straightforward, so it's yeah. not like, you know. Uh, but uh, but here, I, I can go. Um, I I really like Stephanie as Batgirl. Yeah. I, I, I like the globe-trotting nature of the story. Because some of the better, some of the wackier Batman stories are when he just hops a plane and heads somewhere else. This is my first experience with Squire, and I really, really like her. <laughs> like, a lot. I like her costume design. Uh, it's really cool. I liked the the artistic representation of time being frozen was awesome. It was just absolutely great. And it's it's why I am so glad that we have computer coloring these days. Because you can really do stuff like this, and it looks fantastic. Uh, the action was really amped up. Um, I guess the only the the main thing I kind of appreciated, and this is going to sound really weird, this being modern comics, you know, I, I I half expected her to be sitting there in her underwear when Batman showed up. Yeah, but she's not. She's in a skirt. It's like she's fully dressed. I'm like, how did that get through editorial? Um, I really don't like the Batman costume that Bruce is wearing right now. Um, I don't like, it's really weird because I like the new Superman costume, but I don't like the segmented, segmented nature of Batman's costume. So, uh, I am slowly reintegrating myself into Batman. So a lot of the more subtle things that were going on in this issue kind of escaped me, but, um, 
but I really, I, I really enjoyed looking through it while you did your synopsis. <laughs> yeah, I. Oh man, I should have sent that to you because I noticed when I was going over my notes, I thought, oh wait, this is actually issue number twenty-two. Issue twenty-three was unfortunate because that one character died, and then that other guy appeared, which I don't want to spoil. How did you feel mm-hmm. about that appearance? Uh, liked it a lot. Yeah. Like a whole lot. Like I got to that page and went, yes. Yeah. Um, and now we can't talk about it, which is unfortunate. I apologize. That was okay. my, yeah, my discrepancy. It's um, okay. I really want to track down the Knight and Squire miniseries. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I am very, I, I am sure also that Bertoni loved the Beatles reference. Yeah, I, t- I thought of him and I, and I talked to him about that when I saw him at San Diego. Yeah, that was, and it's funny because Steph says, so these sorts of things do happen over here. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, one thing I, I liked about Batman popping up, however, you know, creepy it is in her hotel room, is that she's not spooked at all. She just kind of nope. continues nibbling on her chocolate. And I think it really speaks to how comfortable she feels with him and how much she has grown and believes that she deserves to be there and, and be Batgirl. Because I think everyone else gets really spooked, but I think it's it makes sense that she yeah. doesn't. At least at this point, you know, she's still Ro- she was still Robin at one point, even though apparently they're changing that. Yeah. Let's not get into that. Because um, <laughs> it's going to lead a lot to a lot of swearing on my part yeah. and my utter admiration for Batgirl from, uh, from San Diego, who got up and asked so many questions at all of the panels. So, uh, uh, did, Where did you see this? I saw the picture from Donovan Grant, but I okay. listened to all of the panels. Oh, uh, okay. DC has them as MP3s oh, on their website, so okay. that's a, I got to listen to everything. And she was awesome. Every time she went to the mic, I got excited. Yeah, so. and it's funny because the first day, or yeah, she was there, she was in the Steph outfit, and then the next day was a black, more Bab-style outfit. So she switched it up a little bit. Um, and what he's referencing, if you don't realize, is that we've been told that, uh, there have only been four Robins. Is that correct? Four Robins. Yes. yes. So Dick, Jason, Tim, and now Damien. So obviously if you, you're good at math, that means that Stephanie was never a Robin. Yeah. Four Robins in a little over five years. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't understand the timeline. Um, let's see. This issue, actually, I read it twice. Um, I read it once uh, pre-Brian Q. Miller interview, and then I read it again. And the first time I read it, I was a little confused. I thought it went really fast and was rushed. And um, But the second time, I, I, I understood it better. But I still think it, it went really fast. I think that this orphan and this whole time issue probably could have been drawn out uh, in more than one issue, and uh, Brian actually told me that he had he had this planned as more than one uh, issue of a team up with Squire, but due to the fact that everything was ending so soon, he had to compress it down into one. So that's certainly not his fault, and I think he did well to maintain all the important things. So I think that worked out. Um, I'm trying to think. 
what else we have? Uh, w- one of the uh, things that I really love about Miller's writing uh, and something that I talked about and commented on in his interview is the fact that he really writes his guest stars really well. And this is something that you you don't like Damien, but if you read all of Batgirl, I think you may have a slight like of him. So I mean, My opinion to- may thaw. <laughs> yes, and you'll have to let me know if that happens. But he he writes, you know, his his team up so well, and I think Squire was really well written and funny, and and someone who could really fit with Stephanie's personality. Um, there are some really quirky moments that I liked. Uh, first of all, the fact that England is probably as you would expect it to be in the viewpoint of Stephanie where there is this beetle kind of thing walking around. There are these Charles Dickens type of people. So it's all, (laughs) you know, just someone kind of visiting there. Uh, Little art things that happened. Um, There are a couple places where borders are different, borders of the panels. One of them, uh, it's the British flag. And then a couple pages, they have the the mean, the sword, the Excalibur-looking sword being, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, separating each of the panels. So I thought that was... That was nice. And the fact that Stephanie's helmet is one of those fuzzy little caps. Yeah. When she's on the motorcycle, it's kind of fun. (laughs) I really like like her costume in general. Um, Yeah. I like the color scheme. I like that it is, it looks, this is going to sound really weird. I like the fact that the outside of both of her legs are padded. Because if she, it's going to sound really weird. If she was going to fight and she was going to block a kick or something with her leg, you would want the section you're blocking with padded so that it wouldn't hurt as much when you were taking it. And I love the the fact that she's got brass knuckles in her gloves. The uh, segments on her, on, on the gauntlets look like they're there to hurt somebody and not there for decoration. Yeah. It's a really well thought out costume. Uh, and I, and I dig it a lot, actually. I'm really going to be looking forward to reading through all of this when I get to it. Yeah. Well, you should lay everything aside. Everything is unimportant compared to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I kind of wanted to start at the beginning of the Morrison run. So a lot of this would make sense. Oh, so. I gotcha. Yeah. Uh, the final thing I I had to say was a, kind of a funny thing is that she equates her flying and coach for ten hours with the fact that she slapped Bruce Wayne in his return, the return of Bruce Wayne. <laughs> so it's just you know, and she's kind of doing this voiceover and saying things like, "Oh no, I don't mind that you know he slapped me." So, well, what um, in your cursory glance, <laughs> what grade would you give this issue? I'd give this definitely a 9 out of 10. Okay. Uh, I really would because it's got a lot of what I look for in a comic. It's got some good character interaction. The 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 action scenes are fantastic. The fight with the the Dickens boys. Yeah. Where, you know, she's kicking him in the face and then she's taking one out with uh with her 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 fist and the other with her her uh her bow staff and then spinning around and kicking the other guy in the gut while uh um squire is kind of flipping around in the uh in the forefront it's just it's a very dynamic page and it's everything i want to see in a fight scene yeah. so um i would give it eight out of ten uh just it's it's kind of not on par with um with 
uh, Miller's 9 and 10 out of 10 just because it was rushed. But, I mean, that's obviously not his fault. But I was a little confused that it was thrown in the middle of the Reapers that we've been dealing with right now. But I guess it makes sense because the next issue that continues on in this story would have been Batman Incorporated. So it must have just been time-wise he had to throw it in here. I always get confused when those sorts of things happen. Like one-shots and stuff, how do they really work out? But Now, I do have a question. Uh, okay. The, the, uh, the knight's horse has a mask and cape. Is that to protect the horse's family? Because criminals may strike against them to get at the horse? Well, what I'm thinking now, people can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is actually Charlie the Unicorn. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> He just doesn't want his secret identity ruined. Charlie! <laughs> Charlie! Charlie! Let's go to Candy Mountain, Charlie! <laughs> <laughs> so, I, this is spoiler, I guess I should have said. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and you know, speaking of Charlie the Unicorn, I just watched this really disturbing video by Kesha. And it was Blow. And not only do we have Dawson from Dawson's Creek, James Vanderbeek, but we have these people running around in suits and ties, but with unicorn heads on them. And then they get shot, and rainbows come out of their chests. I, if you have nothing to do, maybe you should Google or YouTube that. But anyways, that's, yeah. Um, so that's like- creepy. <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, so the last issue have you read the first did you read the first part of this by any chance or were you coming in kind of dry no but uh somebody does a wonderful recap of these issues and i follow that okay yeah well i just wondered hopefully you weren't yeah junior is a strange strange character um the thing is is one i'm familiar enough with gail simone's writing that i can kind of pick up the beats Mm -hmm. and two this isn't an insult but even though the plots are different, the team-ups in Birds of Prey are pretty much consistent. And because of that, it felt like an, it felt like the Birds of Prey that I was reading right before I stopped reading the title when she left the first time okay. on the first book. So I, I didn't feel lost at all uh, between your recaps and my just familiarity with how Gail Simone operates. I was fine with this, with this issue <clears throat> as I lose my voice there momentarily. Oh, no. It's a nice cover. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm doing the I'm doing the recap. Yeah, I was wondering what was going on. Like, well, should I prompt him or? I am a bad podcaster. This is Birds of Prey number thirteen, Hostile Takeover, Part Two of Two. No sentence shall be commuted. Gail Simone, writer. Diego Almos, artist. Uh, do you do all the credits or just the writer and artist? Yeah, and colorist. Uh, okay, Ni Rufino, colorist. Carlos M. Manguel, letterer. Jesus Saiz, cover art and color. Katie Kubert, assistant editor. I guess that's a K. Uh, Janelle A. Asselin? Is, is that how you pronounce that? Cause I I've, have, yeah, I have no idea. I'm just going to say Asselin so I don't have to okay. say um, Huntress tells Bab, uh, Babs to get the team out of there, which is proving pro- to be problematic because Babs has lost contact with them because they were caught in the, the building where uh, Junior and her little organization 
uh, was uh, headquartered. At least I'm assuming that's what it was. Uh, the Huntress tries to convey how bad the situation by telling Babs in the question that this woman, Junior, made Catman afraid. Babs explains that she can't do much because Junior is pretty much off the grid, meaning that she does most of her work with pen and paper and not in the computer where she can get. After nicely asking the question, uh, Renee Montoya agrees to help the Huntress and even makes a joke that this is their first date. Shippers! As Babs gets uh, Creote to call Savant to the Watchtower, Black Canary and Dove fight Junior and things are not going well. And the scene ends with Dove getting injured. Meanwhile, Zinda is getting backhanded when her cover is blown, which I thought was really dumb on his part. Uh, The guy doing the smacking basically says he'll kill himself and her to keep her from hurting his employer before giving the kill order for the receptionist. Hank changes to Hawk, and it is on. The twins hit Hawk with a taser, and that does nothing but tick him off further because he's Hawk, and that's his thing. Downstairs, Dinah tries to get Dove out of there, but after hitting Junior with her canary cry and trying to run, she hears Junior's voice and knows that she has to stand and fight. Babs contacts Catman, who is making eggs, not waffles, which is what I was kind of expecting, uh, to get the skinny on Junior as Huntress and the Question arrive on the roof. After a quick battle, they commandeer the helicopter that was firing at them. Eventually, Catman tells Babs that Junior hates to be seen. She taps into the parts of the building that aren't off the grid and activates the emergency lights, which upsets Junior a great deal. Suddenly, Huntress arrives and kicks Junior off the stairs and into an unknown fate. They get Dove to a doctor, and 27 minutes later, they are back at the watchtower where Babs makes Huntress the new field leader, which goes over a lot better than I thought it would, actually. And after that, Babs declares war on Junior because she hurt Babs's girls. She asks the group who's in with her. And dun-dun-dun. <laughs> um, decent issue. Uh, it is my first of this series. But like I said, I listened to the show and I basically know what's going on. The action was good. Uh, I liked the Justice League Unlimited gag at the beginning. Uh, especially since Gail wrote the episode where the Huntress in question yeah, team. Very first true. Time. Yeah. So I, I really liked that. And yeah, Renee Montoya is gay, so it's their first date. Ha ha ha. Uh, the fight with Junior was decent, but I've seen this kind of sort of thing before. It's not the story's fault, it's mine. Uh, I, I've just seen a lot of, they're the biggest and best fighter ever. How are we going to, oh, we're going to defeat them like this. Um, Hawk made me laugh, but he usually does. The ending was okay, but it just seemed a little too convenient uh, between Babs being able to access the emergency lights and Huntress being able to track the canary cry. It's like, without those two things, they weren't, this wasn't happening. And that struck me as a little odd. It's like, oh, we've got to end this fight, so this is how we're going to do it. Uh, And I did like the final scene, especially Black Canary hugging the Huntress, who looks very uncomfortable at the moment. Or, (laughs) especially since she's covered in blood. So, and Zinda is drinking, because she's like that. Yeah. Well, I like Question. I've liked Question ever since 52. Mm -hmm. Um, So... You know, I, I like both the older question and, and this one. But I feel like in this issue, she kind of outlived her purpose. 
Uh, whereas the previous issue, she kind of was playing a part and her and Huntress were talking and considering, you know, a question coming on the team. She really doesn't do too much. I mean, she babysits a helicopter pilot. Yeah, there's you know, like a comedy beat and that's it. Yeah, so I'm, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. You know, not Oracle, which is what I call her. And it's funny because in a in a future issue of Batgirl, I yeah. think probably the one you read, Steph yes. calls her not Oracle. And I thought, yes, that's exactly it. She uh, she's not productive at all. I I mean, she really doesn't do anything. She's both unable to do anything and just won't do anything. And and I don't really know why she's even on this team if she's not going to help out. So it's it's really cuz she's a female hero in the DC universe. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, did you read the post-Infinite Crisis Birds of Prey where every female character showed up? Oh gosh. In that That's first story true. arc. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so but uh, I thought that, you know, this could just be me seeing ducks, as JR says, um, or duckies, I guess. But the fact that that building has zero com- uh, uh, has no computer system really seems symbolic of the fact that Babs is no longer Oracle anymore. So she really, you know, can't do anything with that building. So I thought that was a nice touch if that's, you know, what Gil Simone meant. Uh, you talked about the fight, that this is a great fighter. And frankly, I didn't believe it. I mean, we have Dinah narrating her history. And Dinah is one of the best martial artists. I mean, she's probably like fifth or so. I mean, she's in the top ten, I would say. Yes, but I, I would I don't agree think with that. There's, yeah, I don't think there's any reason why she wouldn't be able to take down this person in a sack, sackcloth. <laughs> with scissors. Yes. So I was, I don't know, not so sure about Well, that. maybe she's like that girl in that martial arts movie that Donovan told me about who's kind of autistic and was... Chocolate! Yes. It's on my Netflix queue. i have yet to watch it but yeah (sighs) um yeah the side stories of hawkins and uh i didn't really much care for them mainly because um before they were kind of brought up in the past issue it seemed like they had a purpose but then all of a sudden they didn't really seem to have a purpose that much and especially the twins because the twins I mean, that's how they uh, Simone opened the previous issue with these twins, and you're wondering, okay, what's their past? It seems really disturbing, and they're looking at these Rorschach tests and giving strange answers, and then, you know, kind of written off. And I guess my final, my final uh, comment is the whole shift in leadership. What did you think of that? You know, Dinah, I feel like she's still capable, and it seems like it's a bad slash awkward time to switch to a new field leader Mm -hmm. but then babs gives the reason that the divorce changed you you're not the same person you were before and so i i don't know what do you think about that (laughs) from your experience of the past the chuck dixon birds of prey and everything i i it's it's really weird especially given if you're going to ask me in reference to Chuck Dixon, it's really strange because when Chuck Dixon started Birds of Prey, Huntress was still in that awkward trying to prove herself sleeping with Dick Grayson type of thing, um, you know, where she was really on the outs of the Bat family and really didn't get start getting into the Bat family until No Man's Land. So given that... This whole divorce thing, which, why did you even marry these two if you were just going to do this? It makes absolutely no sense to me. But then again, that could lead to a 
rant on all the mistakes that I think DC has made over the past five years. So uh, we're not going to get into that. But it seems like making Huntress the field leader is just something to kind of shake the book up a little bit. And the reasoning is it works, but at the same time, I'm like, that's kind of a shaky reason to make Huntress the, the field leader. Yeah. You've changed. Really? That, that, that's, that's your reasoning. You've changed. I mean, yeah, Huntress took down uh, Junior in the end, but only because she was distracted and wasn't beat to death. So it's not like it was really even a fair fight. And you have to question the timing of this because the next issue is a one-shot that takes place in World War II or something like that. And then the the issue after that is the final issue. Yeah, and I'm going to kind of agree with you in your in your past breakdowns of this series. I don't think Gail has given up because I, I, I agree with you all. I think she's too good of a writer to do such a thing. But it does seem like she's kind of lost interest in the whole thing. I don't know if this was around the time that um, she found out about the reboot. And it's just like, well, what am I going to do now? I'll make Huntress the field leader. Like, it's going to matter in two issues anyways. So I don't know if that's how it was. I don't uh, like a lot of people. I don't really want to get into the writer's head. Yeah. Because that leads to fan complaining on the Internet. Right. But, uh. It, this this feels like a Gail Simone story, but it doesn't feel like a good Gail Simone story. Like, all of her tropes are there. All of her little toys and, and her tools are evident. But it just feels like I'm going through the motions here. Um, which is why it's like, you know, I, I've seen this fight before because Dinah's fought a thousand people like this. So really, what, why is, what is Junior so awesome? You know, why is she so cool? And you know, the other people she has fought. She's not cool. (laughs) But she's got giant scissors. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Yeah. I just watched an episode of Bones and someone was killed by fabric scissors that were really big. I like Bones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. And uh, I would like to, you know, that'd be something I would ask, you know, Gail Simone, you know, just... What was your thinking near the end once you found out about this DC? But how do you even ask that without being really insulting? Yeah, it's just because the, the conceit of the question is, this really sucked. What was wrong with you? And you really don't want to do that because, yeah. like you said, one, it's insulting. And right. two, it's not exactly going to endear you to the writer. Exactly. So. Yeah. And because, you know, a lot of us do wonder, and I don't know if this has ever been answered, but what was, I mean... Oracle, the death of Oracle, I just wonder what was the main point of it, you know? Yeah, it's just, I think the point of death of Oracle was to put out a solicit cover that said death of Oracle and get people interested. Yeah. Because from your coverage of that story, it really wasn't all that good. Yeah. And it just doesn't make sense, in my opinion, that you would give up on it. not at all. Yeah. Why do it now when you're about to reboot it? I know. Yeah. So, and it would have been fun, like I, I, I said to Brian Q. Miller in his interview, you know, if this DC would have gone on, 
I don't know what Barbara would have done, but he would have been probably hailed as as a genius because Wendy probably would have been the new Oracle, and then she would have been everywhere, and that would have been major props to him for, Mm -hmm. for going in that direction, but... Even she is gone now, the way of the wind with this new direction. So, well, what grade would you give this this issue? I'd give it a, a seven out of ten um, because I did enjoy myself, mm-hmm. but I saw more problems. It's like compared to the Batgirl issue I read, it was just like night and day, almost. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. yep. And again, I, that makes me sad because I like Gail. I like yeah. her writing. I've liked it for years. Yeah. Yeah, there has been something, though, because, you know, people tell me that I'm a little too harsh with the Birds of Prey, but if you compare it to what she's done before, there is, like, a stark contrast, and I kind of wonder, you know, what's going on. And I've been meaning to write in about that, Uh because you've mentioned that before. That I'm too harsh, you mean? You've you've said that people have said that you're too harsh. Yeah, which is fine, I mean. You you like 90% of what you read. (laughs) that's true (laughs) you are very you are one of the most positive comic book readers that i know right now and to me when someone like that gives a negative review it has more weight to it so don't listen to them oh okay well, I think, your, yeah. Shoot from the hip and tell how you feel. <laughs> yeah, that's what I do, and I certainly don't take offense. I think this was a new reader, and so if you know that could be like a gold mine. You know, if that's your only experience of Birds of Prey, I could see how that's awesome. But you know, since I know Chuck Dixon yeah. and everything, then I'm like kind of comparing it to that, and that was really the golden age of Birds of Prey. So that's that's you know how that happened, I guess, but. Yeah, I think someone would probably think I was on acid or something if I gave, like, a 5 out of 10 to Batgirl. I think they would wonder what was going on. But I'm really interested to see what's going to happen, you know, with the new Batgirl coming Uh out. And then Birds of Prey, which, you know, it has Dinah. And then it has Poison Ivy. Are you following it? I'm going to pick it up. And I guess I'll (laughs) review it. But if... (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess... well. I thought there were many things swarming around in my head, which is why I can't articulate very well. But I'm going to pick it up because obviously I've been reviewing it since this this volume started. But really, I could drop it at any moment and not feel too terribly bad about it because the fact of the matter is Barbara's not on the team. So I don't yeah. necessarily need to cover it. For And that, for and, and honestly, between that and the solicit artwork is why I, I didn't put it on my list. Yeah. Yeah. Batgirl's on my list. I, right. I, I am going to be reading Batgirl, and, and yeah. probably ninety percent of the bat. I'm heck. I put Batwing on my list. So. Oh, Michael! <laughs> I want to be the guy that read Batwing. Okay, yeah, None of, nobody else is, so I'll be the one with the opinion. So you'll be the one who reads Batwing, just like I was the one person who followed Countdown all the way from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that should be good. What a pair. Um. Yeah, so we'll, you know, the one reason basically is Dinah, so I guess okay. we'll, we'll see. That's fair. I mean, you know, I like, though, that it seems like most of the people going into this are going into this going, I'm going to give it a chance, and if I don't like it, I'm going to drop it. And the reason why I like that is that's the only way they're going to know if something's working or not, and if they have to, you know, not change everything again, but... You know, the fact that they made the, uh, that according to Dio, that they made all these changes because sales were slipping is kind of a, 
probably was a slap in the face to everybody working there because through most of their careers, everything was aces. Right. So um, I'm looking forward to September in a really weird kind of way. No, I would agree. And there are... There are a bunch of books that I, I really thought, oh, maybe I want to try it, but just I think more curiosity-wise, and, and so I had to really weigh, like, which ones do I really think deserve deserve a chance? So, like, things like Hawkman, I was like, well, this kind of sounds good, but I ended up, you know, not putting it on my pull list because I thought, I don't know if I'll like it. So, so we shall see. Um, did I give my grade? I don't remember. I gave it uh, six out of ten bats, and I'm hoping that the next slash last two issues are better. So to end on a high note. Uh, and now here we are, and this is exciting because it's the first time I've done this with somebody. That sounds sketchy. Um, <laughs> bats in the tube. Yay. The yes, the segment where I examine an individual appearance of Barbara Gordon in the media, whether it be TV or film, and currently I'm watching the 1966 Batman TV series. So here we have episode 101, which translates into season 3, episode 7, Louis the Lilac. <laughs> yes, it came out in October... Uh, 26th of 1967. Something as a little aside, um, I think I've gotten some sort of disease from you with little, you know, going off on trains. I actually, I grew up with a, a, a minor speech impediment. I have trouble with L's and R's. Like my tongue is just kind of a little too slow for them. And this episode is such an issue because I had to say lily bit all the time. And now I have Louis the Lilac, so it's very, it's very troublesome. But now people know that I had a speech impediment. See, people, they have issues too. What's nice about singing, though, to continue on this tangent, what I love about singing is the fact that uh, problems go away. So I can, I sing "Light in the Piazza" for a devotional um, at at chapel for because I teach at a Christian school. And, uh, I mean, light in the piazza, it just really rolls off the tongue. Like, my speech impediment just kind of goes away, and I don't even, like, think about it. But talking, it's it's a struggle. So now you know a little bit about me. Um, so this was... <laughs> hopefully that wasn't too boring. Starring Adam West as Bruce Wayne slash Batman. Burt Ward as Dick Grayson slash Robin. I met both of those people. Neil Hamilton as Commissioner Jim Gordon. Alan Napier as Alfred Pennyworth. And Yvonne Craig as Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl. Woohoo! Yes! Guest starring uh, Lisa Seagram as Lila. Carl Lucas as Acacia. Jimmy Boyd as Dogwood. Uh, I think that's Skylar. Skylar Aubrey as Princess Primrose slash Thelma Jones. And Milton Burl as Louis the Lilac. The quote that I put on, there were a couple of them actually, but Robin and I were just putting a flower decal on the back of the Batmobile. <laughs> I mean, if that sums up the episode, I don't even, yeah. Commissioner Gordon plans a flower inn at Gotham City Park, but is disappointed to learn that there are no flowers available. Meanwhile, the dastardly Louis the Lilac plans to take over the minds of Gotham City's flower children, and he begins by kidnapping one of their leaders, Princess Primrose, having placed her under the power of his nefarious lilac spray. 
an old school chum of Barbara Gordon, who knew her as Thelma Jones. The princess's kidnapping from the flowerless flower inn has the flower children, oh my word, incensed, and they immediately start demonstrating at Gotham City Hall. (laughs) Sorry, I'm remembering the episode. Or I guess Gotham City, City Hall. (laughs) Louie knew that Barbara would contact the Cape Crusader, which she did, and rigs a trap for him and the boy Wonder. While the dynamic duo converse with Barbara, Louie plants a card for Lila's lilac shop in the Batmobile. The Batman and Robin discover the card, decide it is a clue, and proceed to Lila's lilac shop, where Louie has prepared a pernicious treat for them. They are drugged with poisonous lilacs and a well-laced vase, and left spread-eagled on a trellis in Louie's hothouse, where they regain consciousness and find themselves about to become lunch for deadly man-eating lilac plants. Barbara Gordon is tailed to her apartment by Louie's henchman, Arbutus, who confronts her and yanks out the phone cord as she is about to contact the authorities. She then locks herself in her bedroom, changes into that caped crusaderous Batgirl, and chases off Arbutus. Alfred Pennyworth arrives to inform her that the Batmobile has been located near Louis' greenhouse and gives her the address, and she mounts her Batgirl cycle and speeds there in a flash. Meanwhile, Louis takes Primrose, still under his spell, to the flowerless flower inn where she sings his praises. When the spray wears off, the princess spills the beans, and unlucky Louis escapes in his flowermobile with Prim- Primrose and her flower-powered followers hot in pursuit. Back at the hothouse, the Cape Crusader manages to free one of his feet to punt a nearby flower pot through a window, breaking it. Holy field goal! The cool air powering in instantly destroys... What? I was laughing. It worked. That was funny. Yeah, I don't know. It's (laughs) just very strange. The cool air pouring in instantly destroys the deadly plant, and the dynamic duo leap free from his anthropophagous bloom... Anthro means man in Greek, and I'm wondering what pophagus means. Anyways. <sighs> it means poor phages. Oh, boy. Sorry, that was a bad joke. Move uh, on. <laughs> I think so, yeah. The dynamic duo <laughs> leap free from the anthropophagus bloom in the greenhouse and battle the returning Louis and his henchmen Arbutus, Acacia, and Dogwood. Batgirl gleefully joins in on the Bat Brawl and manages to defeat Louie with a can of powdery mildew spray that renders him moldy, decayed, and moth-eaten. Louie, unwilling to be taken in, tries to throw himself into the man-eating lilac plant. After rounding up Arbutus, Acacia, and Dogwood, the dynamic duo rescue Louie from the greenhouse, where the lilac was unaware that the plants have already been neutralized by cold air and haven't done him a modicum of harm. The dynamic duo then discover that Egghead has joined forces with Cossack Queen Zelda to be continued. That's a goofy episode, too. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Well, um, the thing about, well, a note from my wife, uh, who watched this episode. Oh, okay. Uh, A note from my wife about this episode. Hey, uh, do you have another microphone? Hey, Rachel. Come here for a second. Actually, this microphone will pick her up just as well as I am. Yeah, she would like to. That'd be great. And now the dog. The dog can chime in, too. (laughs) Okay, we are talking about that episode of Batman with Louis the Lilac uh, with uh, Batgirl. C- come explain your problems with her motorcycle. Come here. Oh, come here. Seriously. It has ripples on it. What the 
motorcycle. It makes it more aerodynamic? She goes, it makes it more aerodynamic? That's what I just said. Hadn't you ever been a drag? (laughs) So, uh, so, So what do you think of the Batman episodes we've seen so far? They're a bunch of crap, and anyone who even has met a girl should know that crap through. Okay. I'm sorry, they don't get a pass on that. If anybody on there had met more than a five-year-old girl, they should know there should not be a ruffles on a freaking motorcycle. <laughs> Considering the, there was a woman playing it, she should have stood up and said, okay, I know this is my job and I'm getting paid for it, but screw you guys, this is just going to make me look retarded. Sorry, that's a bad word, I shouldn't say that. But still, this is going to make me look really stupid. So, enough is enough. Get rid of the damn ruffles. What did Rachel think about the creeper in Batgirl's that apartment? Your point? Uh, what did you think about the uh, creepy guy in her apartment? Remember the scene where she comes yeah, home? Really, that's the only thing she does? This is Batgirl here? Yes, I know she wanted Barbara Gordon and on the net. Bull! Oh my gosh. She's going to have to use a beat for the first I'm time sorry. in the show. <laughs> I'm sorry. She's used to my shows where the language is a little freer. Exactly. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. It's okay. I'm glad she's passionate about it. Oops. She is very passionate about... I love watching old episodes of Batman with her simply because this is what I get. It makes the show more entertaining. Yeah. Thank you, baby. Sorry. No, I appreciated her being on. You have to thank her for me. (laughs) She thanks you. She doesn't have to. I know I messed her show up. No, not at all. It's great to have many guest stars. So, uh, the scene at the beginning of the episode where Barbara runs into her old friend. Yes. <laughs> Yvonne Craig could not hide the, this girl is so high right now, look off of her face. It's just like that whole conversation, Barbara looks so uncomfortable. And having run into people who partake and talking to them like that, I know exactly what she's feeling. So do you think the actress was really high? Is that what you're saying? No, but man, that character was. <laughs> yeah, very true. I was just shocked that she knew someone that, you know, was a hippie. And I just thought of George instantly. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's, here's the thing. She's the daughter of a police commissioner. And much like being the daughter of a, a preacher or something like that, I'm sure she had a kind of rebellious teenage years. Especially since it doesn't seem like she has a mother. Because when the scene where Commissioner Gordon finally shows up at her apartment after the creeper was there, he's like, you know, uh, you know, I I, this is what I was worried about when you moved out. I think you should move back in. Yeah. It's like, wow, you don't understand the female mind at all. Do you, Commissioner Gordon? Yeah. You you suck. You suck as a police commissioner to begin with, because if Batman wasn't there, I don't know what you and Chief O'Hara would do with yourselves. It's like, wow, I guess we're going to sit here and play Canasta as the city tears itself apart. Thanks a lot. Uh, I I do like that at least we know if Babs were a hippie that her name would be Hyacinth. (laughs) In case anyone was concerned about that. (laughs) I, uh... I, uh, when, when I was watching this is after I've been listening to your coverage of the show. So when she started talking to the bird, I was just oh, like, yeah. oh, and, and you're right. She needs a roommate she, or she, something. She, she needs a friend because she's talking to that bird like that bird is talking back at her. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Barbara's partaking. I don't know. Oh, dear. Or just stares at her. Yeah. 
I, I do wonder why she's not, you know, more concerned that there is a strange man in her apartment. And like I said in that Superman issue, I mean, then she starts having a conversation with him. Yeah, like, like, like it's not awkward or, or wrong that a man has broken into her apartment. Yeah. I mean, seriously. Really? You're just going to sit there and talk? And he's... She's just that desperate. She's just that desperate. Wow, yeah. <laughs> The bird isn't doing it for her. <laughs> At last, another human being with who, I'm, who I can communicate with. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm actually more creeped out that Alfred shows up at her apartment, yes, actually. which is so weird. And then he explains how he got there. Just, I mean, I, re- I, I want to see the outtakes from, like, her landlord of seeing all these men parade in and out of her apartment. Yeah. I'm running a clean hotel apartment building here. What are you doing? Yeah. You're doing something wrong. Um, Louis the Lilac is very typical of this show. Um, and uh, I really hated him. <laughs> I, I, I really didn't. <laughs> Milton Berle is a fine comedic actor. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he is a classic comedic actor. He seemed to be having trouble with this role. You know, like the dialogue wasn't working for him. And every time he used his little spray, it was just it was very, very awkward. And it made him even more awkward by the fact that I could think of nothing but Batman and Robin when they were attached to the man eating plants, which made me think of Batman and Robin, which made me kind of sad inside. Yeah. Mm. But uh, it had a nice fight Mm -hmm. at the end. I liked the fight. Uh, I, I do feel bad that all Batgirl gets to do is kick. Yeah. Because that's all the producers would allow her to do, which is just very sad. Yeah, I did think it was a bit heavy for her to uh, shoot Louie in the face with the mildew spray. <laughs> I mean, that could have been anything. <laughs> oh, no, it's DDT. Yeah. Oh, and that, that brings up another fact that this is like pre-Poison Ivy. Yes, I was actually very surprised that Poison Ivy never showed up on this show. I, I would have to look at the timeline. Because they did have plans for Two-Face. Ooh. Uh, he was going to be a television reporter whose uh, face was damaged in a camera accident. Like a camera explodes in his face. Okay. So uh, that I would have liked to have seen. But they, uh, they, they never made that season. Because <laughs> about a few hours after they destroyed the Batcave set, NBC called and said, we'll pick you up. <laughs> but, oh, they, but only if you have the sets. And they didn't. So it was very, very sad. Well, Rachel's not here now. But, uh, you know, two things I did notice besides the ruffles, because I kind of just took that as a grain of salt. Um, Her bike does not have a windshield. Nor, I mean, it has a circle, but there's no glass. Nor does it have two side mirrors. I think only one on the left, I guess, is sufficient for her. But at least, you know, we got to see where she stores it, because I think that was the first time that we saw it going in through a brick wall. Yeah. No, it, the thing, apparently it was really heavy, too, uh, to to ride, according to an interview I read with Yvonne Craig. Um, I can't see that thing going very fast, even though they have the scenery speeding by her on <laughs> as she sits there in front of a green screen, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> But they did that a lot. They did that with the Batmobile as well. Adam was sitting there just turning the steering wheel slightly. Yeah. Um, 
Well, do you have anything uh, anything else? Uh, the whole the hippies are taking over thing just oh, made yes. me laugh. It made me laugh so hard. These are some really dedicated hippies. Um, I think it's really funny that this show tried to talk about hippies at all. You know, and it, but what's weirder is that Batman, like the ultimate personification of law and order in, in this series, is like cool to them. Which really doesn't make any sense to me because he should be something that they would, you know, try to fight and protest against as well because he's the man. Or at least he works with the man. And given the effectiveness of the Gotham City Police Department, he, he pretty much is the man. So, I, I don't know. I, I just... I just like how Gordon was so nonchalant about the angry mob outside of his office, essentially. Yeah. Like, oh, nothing can, nothing bad can come of this, you dolt. And, and there were a couple of lines that came out of Robin and uh, Batman's mouths that were, like, groovy. Yeah, and that, it didn't work at all. Yeah, it was very strange. I mean, if if you see how Robin Dick Grayson dresses in his red uh, red sweater and white shirt underneath, this, Ooh, yeah. the, he's not a hippie at all. Yeah, he, he probably wears a dicky. He he's probably the the guy that would throw rocks at the hippies as they as as they were protesting on the other side. Yeah, he is the Pepsi generation of the sixties. Oh gosh, so uh, what what grade would you give this? Um... Because I don't like to be too harsh on the show, I'm going to give it 7 out of 10, only because I really didn't like Milton Berle. Uh, as the, it, it wasn't a memorable villain. It's just like, you know, you watch yeah. like the Joker episodes, or the Penguin episodes, or the Riddler ones, or even the goofy ones like Clock King, uh, who, who played by Roddy McDowell, future uh, Mad Hatter for the animated Ooh, series. Yeah. Um, you know, they're kind of memorable characters, but the show was really starting to run out of steam at this point. It seemed like they were becoming a parody of themselves, and it's really evident in the next episode as well, uh, where there is a guest appearance by somebody that made me laugh a whole lot. Watch out! <laughs> watch out for the guy playing Gilligan, and that's all I'm going to say. I know. Yeah, the I have the episodes have come off of TV Land, and what's nice about the TV Land announcer is that he gives you certain things. But there were like a bunch of other guest stars. I can't remember now. It was Gilligan, and then there was there were some other people that I don't remember. But it's 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 the '60s Batman series. Yeah. I cannot be too hard on it because yeah. it is such a part of my life. Yeah, you know this is something I grew up on, so it's hard to spit on it. <laughs> and and I would give it an eight out of ten. I think I've been giving these like nine out of ten. Um, but yeah, I think this one was a was a weaker one, and it was just again strange, very strange. Well, we've come to that time. Have you, do you have, by any chance, have a literature recommendation? Yes, I'm going to recommend Animal Farm by George Orwell. <laughs> I like Are you that being book. serious? Yes, oh, I'm being okay. serious. I love that book. It I'm, is a great book, yes. Would I've you loved like it. to explain what it is about? Um, it is about the rise of communism, but it is told as an allegory that instead of the, you know, Russia, it is a farm in England where a pig basically um who represents Karl Marx gives the idea of living basically the communist life and these two other pigs kind of take over and they are representations of Lenin and Stalin 
and it's a really engaging story. You know, you know, when you look at it, it's talking animals, but what they're talking about is how communism breaks down. And I read it when I was 13. I was in seventh grade. I found it in the library. And I actually like this more than 1984. And I really like 1984 as a novel. So I, I am sincerely recommending Animal Farm if you have not read it. Um, I don't advise watching the animated film that they did years and years and years ago because it was awful. But it has a very there, – there's a really sad moment about three-quarters of, of the way into the book. And the last bit of, of, of uh, the last lines of the book are kind of scary about what they uh, of, of what actually happens to the farm. And it's 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 a really engaging read. Yeah. And I'm going to recommend The Jungle. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, Sinclair. Yes. I'm going to recommend The Iliad uh, by Homer. And um, I recently read it on the, the flight. It was five hour flight from. Oh, I well, I was going to do a highlight reel for San Diego Comic Con, but what's funny is I had a flight from the Virginia Beach area to Nashville, and then I stayed on my plane. And I was going to go from Nashville to San Diego, and here comes this guy on my plane in Nashville, and I'm kind of staring at him all creepy like, and look who it is! It's Donovan. So Donovan and I actually sat next to each other from Nashville to San Diego. I'm kind of shocked that um. You didn't get through. You didn't get through Atlanta because everything comes through Atlanta uh, <laughs> as connecting flights. Wow. Maybe it was because I went southwest. Maybe that would have been. That's probably it. Yeah. Uh, so I read this on the way to and the way back uh, and finished it up because I gave it as a summer assignment for my AP Aeneid class because this is kind of the um, the prologue or the what is it a prequel to the Aeneid. So it, it follows only a few weeks in the 10th and final year of the Trojan War. Um, it, it mentions or alludes to many of the Greek legends about the siege, the earlier events such as the gathering of warriors for the siege, the cause of the war, and similar, tending to appear near the beginning and the events prophesied for the future, such as Achilles' looming death and the sack of Troy, prefigured and alluded to more and more vividly approaching the end of the poem. So you, it actually ends not with the Trojan horse, but um, with Priam actually getting his son Hector's body back from Achilles. And then uh, you kind of pick it up, I guess, with the Aeneid uh, in a way. So I recommend it. Um, I only gave them 15 books to read. There are 24 altogether. So I, I had to cut it down because I was told it was too much. But it's, it's really engaging and... Um, I mean, hopefully my students enjoyed it. Uh, that's going to be one of my questions, but hopefully they'll be um, not rude about it, but actually, you know, tell me the truth, you know, if you liked it or not. So have you read any of the Iliad? Uh, my reading of the classics is shockingly not there. Okay. So um, I really feel like I need to. Unfortunately, it seems like all of my play reading time is taken up with preparations for podcasts. Yeah, so. no, I agree. Yeah. Uh, because I wasn't a big reader as a teenager, which is why I was shocked that I read Animal Farm in 1984 and other kind of books like that. Uh, and I feel like I should make up for that now, but I don't have time, and it makes me kind of sad. Yeah, so, it is tough. It is tough to find time. Well, 
You should send any comments or did you wonder what I was doing? Because I just kind of hung there on. The yeah, I, I was. I was just like, am I supposed <laughs> to say something now? OK, vamp, yes. Mike, vamp. Please send any questions or comments to batgirl to oracle at gmail.com. Continue to sign that pic- petition to get Batgirl Year One back into production. Um, it's still possible. Yes. And, uh, you know, now is the perfect time. Definitely, with the movie coming out on October 18th, Batman Year One, that is. And then Bab's back under the cowl. Or, or at ag- least produce it for Cartoon Network, since DC is wanting to team up with them now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Batgirl to Oracle the Barbara Gordon Podcast. Thanks also to TV.com for the episode summary for Louis the Lilac, even though there were some... Uh, grammar mistakes but that was my fault for not checking and also be sure to support and listen to michael bailey on any one of his numerous and well-produced podcasts michael thank you so much for for agreeing to come on i you know i could think of no better person to chat about superman and his oil sucking lungs than you (laughs) how can you give me that and not expect me to laugh no i really appreciate you having me on I also appreciate you letting me show off my new microphone. Um, it's so clear. Yeah, there, there's a little echoey problem, but I've got to construct a sound booth for it, basically, because oh, it's that yeah. awesome. But, um, no, I, I'm a big fan of this show. Uh, I'm a big fan of you, too. But uh, the um, you do a great job. Uh, and thank you for letting me stay in touch with the Batgirl side of the uh, DC universe and hear about some stories that I've never read. I have yet to read as, uh, unfortunately there are a lot of other showcases and stuff that I have to read that are above this one. Cause I got them first. So yeah, but this is, but the, uh, uh Superman family is the last one of that book. It is. I was going to say it's a very momentous, you know, when I started looking at that showcase and it boasting over 500 pages of comics, I was just thinking, wow, it may take me a really long time to get through it. And now I'm done and I'm moving on to Superman family. So it's kind of a big deal. Yes. Or at least Batman family, because if you were moving to Superman family, maybe you were starting a Supergirl podcast. Wait, did I just say Superman family? Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't mean to pick on you. They were going to be I like, he's being mean to confused. her. No, I think I, I, yeah, it is, what, 151? So that's probably what happens. Is there any announcement that you would like to make? Yeah, I'll do it here. When is this show going Are live? Are you sure you want to? Is this show go- When is the show going live? Either tomorrow or Monday. Okay, since this is the first Batman podcast <laughs> that uh, I have been on, because I have plans to be on another one, or at least an invitation, you heard the litany of other podcasts that I am on. I have decided to add another one. Uh, it is called Bailey's Batman Podcast. It will be launching on September 6th, 2011, to give me time to get ahead so that I can stay ahead. And basically, I am similar to my From Crisis to Crisis show that I do with Jeffrey Taylor. I will be covering the Batman comics starting with the March 1983 cover date which is also coincidentally the first appearance of Jason Todd, the original Jason Todd, the ginger Jason Todd, as he was a redhead at first. Uh, And a certain Barbara Gordon makes a very, very small appearance in the detective comics issue I cover for that month as well. Um, She basically says hi and nothing else. So it's, (laughs) it's one of those appearances that you probably have on your list 
that you wonder, do I need to cover that? And no. Yeah. That I make no. the April Fool's episode. Yeah. yeah. Which was awesome, by the way, because I didn't know what was going on until the end. <laughs> okay. I'm dead serious. I'm like, wow, she is being really dark on this episode. Oh, yeah. It made me smile. So uh, you can find that. Uh, the site's up. Uh, there isn't much there. Uh, but you can find that at Bailey's Batman, Bailey's Batman podcast.com. That's another reason, you know, the show's coming out because I paid for a URL and I don't want to waste the money. So, but it's going to be fun. It's me talking about Batman by myself. Uh, eventually, as I get through the first year of comics, I will start having guests. Um, but uh, for right now, it's just going to be me talking about Batman because I really like Batman. Um, so you were saying it's like uh, the you said crisis. You didn't say crisis to crisis. What yeah. show did you say? Oh, yeah, that's from what crisis you said. to crisis. Is this um, 1983? Are you starting it there? Is that when you first started getting Batman comics? Uh, no, uh, my Batman col- collecting um, career is very sketchy. Um, it is where my Batman collection begins as a full collection. Because I have a couple issues scattered before that. But as far as having like a full collection from that issue in March, or cover date March 1983, it goes all the way now to almost 648, Batman 648 of Batman, and uh, missing some detective issues. But basically I have everything from Batman from then till today almost, as I'm working on it. Uh, because I stopped collecting for several years, but at least 20 solid years of Batman comics that I have to go through. So it's going to be fun. It's it's really going to be interesting to cover this era of Batman because it's one that I don't think a lot of people are familiar with because it is the pre-Dark Knight Returns Batman where he is still somewhat kind of the 70s Batman. And there's the whole thing with the introduction of Jason Todd is a very interesting story especially how creepy it gets after he adopts Jason and then he's taken away from him. Bruce, uh, a woman named Nocturna takes custody of Jason. And there's all these scenes of Batman saying, I love Jason and I miss him. And it makes me uncomfortable. It shouldn't, but it does. So, so <laughs> I have bored Stella. <laughs> no, but while you're going through that, cause I seriously was um, listening to you because that was, that was very interesting. Cause I want to know why 1983 was the, the, the start. Cause it's where it you. starts. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I was looking for a Supergirl, Batgirl, uh, Superman, you know, Family 171. And, you know, auto finish or whatever Google has, it stops right there with Supergirl, Batgirl. It, it tries to fill in fan fiction right away. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I know, right? I almost thought about cooking on that. And then I do Superman, Family 171. And I go to the images because I want to see if I could get, you know, just because I'm random and sick, I guess. thought I could find a, a panel of that and have it for, like, my avatar or something. So I find this image that says, it's it's the the one where, for whatever reason, Batgirl is squeezing Supergirl's nose shut, and then you know, and Supergirl's face is on the tire, and it says CPR. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I should put that as my avatar. Probably not. Oh, um, it'd be funny, but yeah. I don't know if it's you. <laughs> you know, you it's, it's know like I I would post that. And everyone would go, oh, Mike did that because he's goofy as hell. But yeah. wow! So I should also, I should not find a shipper picture either. 
Oh, that's up to you. I mean, you're probably going to get more hits, but... Oh, uh... my gosh. Yeah. Well, I'm more talking about the Avatar and Spider-Man crawl space, which... How many people would notice that? I would. That's true. Currently, I have a um, an Arthur picture, and it's Arthur and Buster, and it says, is this the end? Because someone, a.k.a. Josh Bertoni, he read to me this, and this was one of the late nights. After, after San Diego Comic-Con, we would just all go into one hotel room and just chat and everything. And so one of the nights, he shared with me a fan fiction about emo Arthur, and Arthur, I hate to tell you folks, but Arthur at the age of 14 ends up committing suicide. Um, <laughs> so I'd wow. read, yeah, that fan fiction, the moose, I guess there's a moose he commits suicide to. He writes a note and then he says, gotta go, get into the bridge. And then he died. That's how it goes. I would read it to you guys, but it's dark and there's language. So there'd be a lot of bleeping. Oh, how do we get on this topic? Okay, what I, I want to... Yeah, this is, that's all you. That's not my fault. Yeah, I guess. See, but I think you're a bad influence. Well, there are a couple things I, I want oh, to I say. Oh, I am a bad influence. Yeah, so. there are a couple things I want to say to you. Okay. First of all, I think we should have some sort of crossover, if I'm still alive and podcasting, when you get to um, No Man's Land. Okay. Or maybe war games, you know, some of those big ones, because obviously Barbara does play a part. So some sort of, that would be like a huge crossover, though, for podcasting, because that'd be mm-hmm. several episodes long. Oh, yes, because I do a month stories. at a time, so yeah. Yeah, that would be very interesting. The oh, other thing is, just so people, you know, if you really enjoyed Michael Bailey's appearance here, which I, I know everyone will, uh, that I hope to have you and George on, which I had George way back, 17.5 with the Wonder Woman, when we talk about um, Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. Oh, yes. I'm, so looking, I'm so, looking at the DVD right now. Yeah, so fact. mine's still left unopened. Did you get it, the recent release? No, I have the... Okay uncut okay. version that was released on DVD several uh, several years ago uh, that makes me cry. Yeah, I'm I'm waiting to... I still haven't opened it, which I guess I should, but this was the one that um, was kind of back and forth as to whether or not it had both versions or just one. So I should open it, but that's the one I would like to do the commentary for is the director's cut. So. Mm-hmm. But we'll have to do that. I don't know if August uh, would be a good time or, or wait until... Like I always tell you, you tell me, I'm, I'll find the time. Okay, he's very malleable. Okay, well, I guess, you know, I guess that's it. I mean, it was such a pleasure and an honor to have you on this was great i had a lot of fun thank you would you like to say the uh the closing line there fly on babs lovers fly on yeah just plain barbara gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special batgirl cycle who knows is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. (sighs) I love a happy ending, don't you?